All right, good morning. Nice to see you guys. Nice to see the flipping sunshine. Oh my goodness, it is a wayward friend to come back to bless us for three months and then we'll see snow again. But you laugh, but half of you are crying inside because you know it's way too close to the truth. And then there's the Minnesotans right now. I don't know why. Maybe we just need to laugh for just a second before starting this morning. Who are like, it's Minnesota, just get used to it. And you're like, no, I'm used to snow. Like, I don't mind snow in the cold, but it snowed in October as well. So that means seven calendar months we had snow on the, touched our ground. And less than six, five months, were no snow months. It's supposed to be a season, right? Season to me is like three months. Like starts kind of right before Christmas, so we have a snowy Christmas, kind of tapers off mid-March, and then it starts springtime. Perpetual winter. How we are followers of Jesus in this climate, I don't know. We're supposed to follow the light. There's references to earth and sunshine. It just makes it interesting. But even all joking aside, uh... Uh, I think we had a really, really good Lenten season. Like, I, I had a lot of stuff that was uh, just flowing before that inspired. It seemed really easy. And post that, it seems like I am drained of ideas. You're just like, okay, there's no, no ideas. Where do we go here? Like, you're flipping through. I keep, like, on my phone, like, lists and lists and lists of ideas or a quote or a verse, something that jumps out. So someday, like, maybe I'll pull it all, to, like, I just pull from that big pool of stuff to come up with ideas that seem to match. But when there's no like radiating theme going on, you, you just you can't, you can't do that too much. And really, I'm, we like to go to books of the Bible a couple times a year um, because, uh, and just teach straight from, from there. Like today we're teaching from Ephesians. Um, Ephesians 1 through 3. Uh, Part of the reason is to show you that there are books in the scripture that you can just read flat outright and you're not going to be confused. It's, it's plain, it's inspiring, it's amazing. Um, if there's new people to our faith or even to reading the scriptures, I always point them to either Ephesians or Philippians or uh, John. And I'm like, these three, like, get them under your belt when it seems like they're boring then feel like you got to move on. But like there's so much here. Like I feel like you'd spend your entire Christendom in those three books and never run out of inspiration or something to go on. Yet I still find so many people that are like, I just, I tried, I opened my book, I just can't get anything out of these texts. It's either too confusing, I don't understand what's going on or the symbolism. And so we definitely wanted to get, we want to have these moments where we get here uh, but then the other piece of it is like, I'm tapped, like I got nothing. And so you're like, well, let's go back to inspiring scriptures then and read straight from them and find this sense of grounding of we're followers of Jesus, this stuff inspires us, there's something going on here. And Ephesians is phenomenal for this. Um, you're probably going to want to follow along somehow. Um, so 99% of us have smartphones, you can go to like an app or BibleGateway.com. I'm reading from the voice translation. There's two at the back right now if someone just wants to grab a paper copy. If you don't have one, it's yours to grab and to keep. And if you just want to use it as a reference today, go right ahead as well. Because uh, I'm going to just be 
reading through what inspires me from the first three chapters here. What, what jumps out to me, what is interesting. And I think discussion is where today will really shine, where we'll talk about this and something uh, will find a deeper meaning, will find a way to inspire us further this next week and something going on. But I felt like it's important to be honest, too, about the being tapped for ideas or even excitement about teaching. We all go through these ebbs and flows. I'm sure some of it has to do with nature as well, and some of it just has to do with life. You just have these moments where it just doesn't seem as exciting, and you have to find some way to ground yourself and pull back. Um, Ephesus is who Paul's writing to. It is... At the time, one of the great cities of the world, it would have been located in Turkey now, it's a port town, uh, it was going on. There, it was big, there was lots of stuff, the temple to Princess Diana was there, um, and they were really into the spooky pooky, like, believing that. Um, I think this is interesting, uh, the intro in the, in the voice says, this is why Paul's letter, or the city is immersed in magical arts, and a kind of religion that promises people protection from fate, demons, curses, and incantations. And I read that thinking, it sounds like most of my Christian relatives believe in a religion that is looking for protection from fate, demons, curses, and incantations. Like this, but this is completely the opposite of what following Jesus is to Paul. He's like, this isn't some, we're not looking for mystical powers or protection from some other kind of, there's something beyond that. He, he wants to show us that the power of the Gospels, the power of this message of Jesus is really fun in, in, in each of us, like our ability to be inspired, to pick up these truths, to walk them out, to change someone's life, to change our neighborhoods and things around us. It's not uh, this mysticism that the city was, and not, I mean, I consider myself a mystic, so I'm saying there's not, not that, but not these outward signs of, almost magic Christianity or magic whatever, that there's um, something more going on. And it doesn't say that Paul doesn't believe in prayer or something more going on. The basis of this is that together we, there's something stirring on the inside of us that we can do, uh, which is really interesting to me. He, um, even though it's said Ephesians, and this is kind of who they grant it towards, it's actually more thought that it was kind of for Asia in the region there and was passed around quite a bit. Uh, and just kind of ended up in Ephesus, and that's why they gave it. But it's a very generalized, this book could be written to anybody, any follower of Jesus, any community especially of followers of Jesus at any time on the globe, and we could find something out of this, which makes it such an interesting book to read together and to find inspiration from. He does it from a prison cell in Rome when he writes it again, uh, which is fantastic to see how encouraging he is while imprisoned. And there... I mean, Rome is state-of-the-art back then, probably a little cushier than our prisons are now, and pool tables, great buffet lines for lunch, and so that he would be able to, you know, pull happiness from this is something really interesting. Uh, the other thing to, to mention as he's going through this is he starts to talk about um, people who are followers of Jesus almost... Uh, existing on a different plane than everyone else. Uh, we'll see Jesus talk about being like the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God already being among us, that so we can operate in God's principles here and now. Paul starts to talk about it being called heavenly realms. We'll see him use that language, that we're, we're able to occupy this space. No matter what's going on around us, we can be in a different space than what's going on around us, different things that are inspiring us, but even almost uh, what 
can affect us or how we work together. It's, it's, to him, it, it almost seems like a, an opposite realm, a parallel universe. At the same time, all the rest of this stuff seems like it's spinning out of control. There's this place that we can find, no matter where we're at, where we can be in this heavenly realm, this God's culture, something bigger and better to inspire us. And so we'll see fragments of that as we're reading it together as well. Um, the other thing to mention is that the first three chapters uh, are really like his vision of like this possibility of what we can have, this heavenly realm, this being in community together, this what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it's inspiring. You read it and you're like, oh, that's why there's so much good stuff here. This is why this is one of these books that I keep recommending to people. And then the second half, he really puts it down to like the how-to. Like this is why you need to take this seriously. This is what we need to do. And so next week we'll look at that more. Um, but let's just get into this a little bit. Um... He starts in verse 3 and he says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Liberator, who grants us every spiritual blessing. In these heavenly realms where we live, through the Liberator, not because of anything we have done, but because of what he has done for us. Which is so powerful, again, is this reminder that it's, it's, it's God who's at work. It's not us pulling all the strings or polishing the brass. Like he's doing something, he's stirring something in us. And it says here that God chose us to be in relationship with him even before he laid out the plans for this world. He wanted us to live holy lives characterized by love. And that sentence right there is really interesting because I almost see this battle today of holy lives versus lives of love. And like, well, he calls us to be holy. And it's like it's an opposite thing where most of the time when Paul's talking about this, it's the same thing. Holy lives means you're operating in a life of love which usually when we're talking about the scriptures is talking about um, the law of the spirit, the law of love, the, the royal law, you'll see it called, which is love your neighbor as Jesus has loved us or as, at least as you'd love yourself or this putting others, like trusting that he's got me and so I'm going to look to everyone else now and see what's going on. And this is this holy life he sees that there's, there's something special that we're set about to do. In verse 6, it says, ultimately, God's the one worthy of praise for showing us his grace. He's merciful and marvelous, freely giving these gifts to his beloved, which is us. In verse 9, he says, he's enlightened us to the great mystery at the center of his will. And you'll see this even more talked about in chapter 3 as we get into it today. But there's a mystery that's being revealed. And he's enlightened to us. He says, with immense pleasure, he has laid out his intentions in the Liberator, a plan that will climax when the time is right, as he returns to create order and unity, both in heaven and on earth, when all things are brought together under his royal rule. In him we stand to inherit even more as his heirs, predestined to play a key role in this unfounding, unfolding purpose that is energizing everything to conform to his will. There's something so magical about which is funny because I said there's no magic and now I'm saying magical. I do think there's something so, magical is probably the wrong word, but it just seems like the right glittery word for this. Magical about this, the verbiage used here. Um, his purpose that is energizing everything. There, we seem to, no matter who I talk to, this collective energy that's inspiring us to something else, that's drawing us together, the more like the same language is used 2,000 years ago without the internet, without um, even published 
major scientific breakthroughs that people had access to, the, this understanding that something greater is here. And that we're being called together under this royal rule, but in that, it's this key role in bringing peace, in bringing some kind of unity, is this, this we are the embodiment of Jesus bringing something there. And so he's, he, Paul's got this vision of what, what it looks like for this community to come together and follow Jesus, and he just keeps laying it out over and over and over. He says, because you too have heard this word of truth, the good news of salvation, this is verse 13, uh, because you've heard the word of truth, the good news of salvation, and because you believed in the one who is truth, your lives are marked with his seal. This is none other than the Holy Spirit, which is promised as a guarantee toward the inheritance of what we would receive when he liberates and rescues all who belong to him. To the praise be the glory. There's something about this being marked with this seal, this trusting that the Holy Spirit's on the inside of us. There's, we're marked. There's something that changes there's something that should be visible when people look at our lives and how we operate and how we love and how, again, this takes us back to uh, something Steve brought in discussion a few weeks ago, how we're called to look differently than the world. But it's not in just growing beards and wearing robes and trying to look like Jesus that way. It's in our actions. It's the way that we love that even in the time, he seems so counterculture to what everyone else is doing. It's It's... It's almost this carefree attitude that says, I really do trust he's got me, and so I'm not freaked out and just worried about me. I live in this sense of peace, and I can now extend that to others and, and, and be this life-giving force that something's happening in. He gives a great prayer uh, at verse kind of about 16, 17, which we'll kind of finish at today. And so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here to verse 2, or chapter 2. Um, He says kind of around group three, he's like, I'm not just talking about outsiders here when I'm talking about this. He says, we're all guilty of falling headlong for the persuasive passions of this world. And we've all had our fill of indulging the flesh and the mind and obeying the impulses to follow perverse thoughts or conceived dark powers. As a result, our natural inclinations. And so he's he's talking about, this is human. He's like, we we get desires. And he's like, we've all chased after them. We've all chased after uh, the stuff that gives us feeling, whether it's meaning in life, we're looking for the praise of others, whether it's indulging in food or um, stuff that makes you tingle more like booze or drugs or whatever. He's like, we've all gone there or sat in front of Netflix for too many hours in a row for too many days in a row just because it takes you out of reality into a fantasy for a second, which feels exciting or comforting or, or for some of us that are crazy or scary or whatever is going on. He's like, we've all had this, Phil. We've all been there. This is not something foreign to us. And he actually calls it the natural inclinations of us. But he said that these things, um, uh, in verse 4, he, he says, despite all of us being in this place of having this, it starts with this amazing two words, but God. And not like rear-end God for all you that like to tease me about. It says, despite all of us having these same chances to just indulge whatever your body or mind is just craving for, it's like, despite this, it says, but God, with unfathomable riches of his love and mercy, focused on us and united us with the liberator and infused our lifeless souls 
with life. So in this, in this state of us just chasing whatever seems to indulge or uh, tantalize our senses to make it be like, wow, that was tasty. If you follow Keenan's blog at all and look at these Bob's Burger burgers he's making every week, like it just makes me want to eat the best tasting and probably worse for my hips food on the planet. Maybe my heart is probably even more. Uh, but it looks so good. And he says, even despite that though, and in the midst of this, it says that God with unfathomable riches infuses us with life. And so there seems like there's so much life in indulging all these things, yet this is saying we were lifeless in that and there's, there's something beyond that, something better, something more filled with life than all these tantalizing treats in front of us that look so good. And it's what an interesting Sunday since... Jess brings like these amazing pumpkin bars back there that, uh, yes, I had two this morning before we started because one wasn't enough. I've had my fill of indulging my flesh. Uh, there's something more that's, that's just as alluring, something that's just as life-filled, that seems like there's something here, and he's like, that is just nothing compared to what is available from following after me. He says that he saved us by his grace, and you know what he did then? He raised us up with him, and he seated us in heavenly realms with our beloved Jesus, the liberating king. He did this for a reason, so that all eternity will stand as a living testimony to the incredible riches of his grace and his kindness that he freely gives to us by uniting us with Jesus, the liberator. Which there, There's so much stuff here. Um, he did this so that all eternity we will stand as a living testimony. What does that look like? How does that work? We're a living testimony. This isn't the living testimony. We should be the, someone should look at the way we live and be like, there's got to be, there's, there's God, there's love, there's, it, this, this has to be a reality because our lives should live in a way that there's this living testimony that just screams to the realities of this life that's being infused in us from Jesus himself. And it says he freely gives this to us, freely. For it's by God's grace, verse 8 and 9, that you've been saved. You, did, you received it through faith, but it was not your plan or our effort. It was God's gift, pure and simple. You did not earn it. None of us did. So don't go around bragging that you must have done something amazing. For we are all the product of heaven's hand. It doesn't say some of us a few of us are the product of heaven's hand. We are all the product of heaven's hand. Heaven's poetry is etched on our lives. Created in Jesus the Liberator to accomplish the good works God arranged long ago. There's something about the scripture that's so interesting when it starts to talk about these, before we were even created, these ideas, these thoughts that God had. And it, it seems very unique to each one of us. The giftings, the talents, the people who are artists, the people who are storytellers, the people who are crafty with their hands, the people who connect people and just make everyone feel special because they're great at listening or asking questions or those that can be hospitable and just invite anyone into a situation to feel comfortable. There's gifts and talents and thoughts which Paul calls heaven's poetry that's been etched into our DNA, into each of our lives that's different for each one of us that we're meant to like live out. And part of this living out, it's in the same paragraph that says that we'll be this testimony this living testimony of God, of divine, of something bigger. And so that's, in one sense, he's telling us to conform to Jesus and to look like him and to follow him and to act like him. And at the 
the same breath he's saying, yet each one of us are so unique and something has been etched on you that we need to live this out and we need to, you need to be you for this, for Jesus to even be seen and to be experienced by those around us. Verse 11, it says, so never forget how you used to be. You were born as outsiders to Israel and were outcasts, branded uncircumcised by those uh, before the sign of the covenant in the flesh. He's, he's, he's writing to people who are followers of Jesus that were all outsiders, which again is most of us unless you grew up in a Jewish home. Like this wasn't, these promises have been taken for a select few and now open to everyone. And he's trying to remind us that you were once the outside. And now you need to realize that that invitation was to every person around. Verse 12, you had absolutely no connection to the liberating king. You were strangers, separated from God's people. You were aliens to the covenant that they had with God. In verse 14, it says, but he is the embodiment of our peace, sent once for all, sent many times, sent every time you can say a prayer. No, it's sent once for all to take down the great barrier of hatred and hostility that has divided us so that we can be one. Here's what he did. He offered his body on the sacrificial altar to bring an end to the law's ordinances and dictations that separated Jews from the outside nations. His desire was to create in his body one new humanity. Multiple humanities, the children of God and the outsiders, the what? No, to end the hostility that separated us and to create one new humanity from two opposing groups, thus creating peace. Effectively, the cross becomes God's means to kill off hostility once for all so that he is able to reconcile them both to God in this one new body. This great preacher of peace and love came for you. His voice found those of you who were near and those of you who were far away. Such wild words that he's still chasing, he's still pursuing. His voice is still drawing those who are close and even those who are the farthest away. He's whispering, he's courting, he's loving every single person. Um, By him, both, both those who are far away and those who are near have access to the Father in one spirit. And so you are no longer called outcasts and wanderers, but citizens of God's people, members of his holy family, residents of his household. Do we see each other that way? Do we see ourselves that way? Hopefully we see each other in the room that way, but do we see our neighbors, our strangers, the people who look completely different to us, do we see them as family members? Because in this, there's something that is bigger and better that he's painting for us here. It says, you're being built on a solid foundation, this message of the prophets and the voices of God's chosen emissaries with Jesus, the liberator himself, the precious cornerstone. This building is being joined together stone by stone, all of us chosen and sealed by him, raising up to become a holy temple of the Lord. In him you are built together. You're creating a sacred dwelling place among you where God can live in the spirit. There's something about this coming together. There's something about this opening it up to all, this peacemaker, this being built piece by piece, each and every one of us adding our talents and and what we bring to this that all of a sudden makes this holy dwelling place where God can be seen. But it's together something beautiful starts to happen. In chapter 3 here then, he starts to go on, and this is where he gets into the mystery. 
He said, all this is exactly why I, Paul, am a prisoner for Jesus, his representative to the outside nations. You have heard, haven't you, how God appointed me to bring to you this message of grace and how the mystery was made known to me in a revelation. I wrote it earlier in brief. When you read about what I've written, you'll be able, you'll be, you'll be, I'm sorry, my tongue is dry. When you read what I've written, you'll be better able to understand the depth of my insight into the mystery of the liberating king, a mystery that has never before been shown to past generations. Only now are these secrets being revealed to God's chosen emissaries and prophets through the Holy Spirit. There's something miraculous that Paul's talking about that is in the scriptures since the beginning of time and has been with prophets, but he's like, it's only being revealed to us now that there was something here. There was a message beyond that. And he says it's the message of God's grace, and it's this message of unity, and it's everything he's been talking about so far. But he says it's been a mystery. It's been like a secret that's now being revealed that wasn't understandable till now. And I feel like it still is being revealed to us, to those around us, to the world. It's, we're getting a clear and clear glimpse of what he's talking about on this. In verse 7 he says, I became a servant and a preacher of this gospel by the gift of God's grace and exercised his amazing power over me. I cannot think of anyone more unworthy to this cause than I. The least of the least of saints. But here I am, a grace-made man, privileged to be an echo of his voice and a preacher to all nations of the riches of the liberating king. Riches that no one ever imagined. There's something beautiful that we're called into. And he says that he's one of the least, and not maybe one of the least, he says he's the least of the least of the saints that this is coming to and so, so many of us, I hear our stories of like, okay, I'm, I'm just not there, I don't have what it takes, or I just don't think I understand this enough, or whatever. And Paul's like, I, I was holding the coats while people were being killed, like cheering from the sidelines as your brothers and sisters were getting destroyed for this message. And now he's like, but I, I saw the light, something happened, a divine encounter, something he didn't pray for, something he didn't want. He experienced this grace firsthand, and now he sees himself being like, if I can be here, excited about this, writing from prison to inspire Christians, which he didn't probably even fathom would be 2,000 years later. He says, how much can each of us do? How much potential is there in this life force of God that's on the inside of each of us that comes through his Holy Spirit? This heaven's poetry already etched on us. What kind of potential is there in each and every one of us? He says, the here is his objective in verse 10. He says, Through the church he intends to now make known his infinite and boundless wisdom to all rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. This has been his plan from the beginning, one that he's now accomplished through Jesus our Lord. His faithfulness to God has made it possible for us to have the courage we need and the ability to approach the Father confidently. So I ask now that you not become discouraged because I'm jailed for speaking out in your fact. It's, in fact, my suffering... Uh, is something that brings glory. And so he starts to even talk about, even in this place that he's in, he's like, I've been a follower, I've been passionate about this, and it's brought me to a prison cell. But he's like, there's something even in this that we can be excited about because God is making it possible for us to have the courage to do something about this, to change the world, to live differently, to not just let those with power or money or wealth decide to control the fate of what's happening around us. But each and every one of us through following these actions through love, we can, we can energize a group of people 
to live in a plane that doesn't even seem like it's the same plane now, a heavenly realm that we can invite anyone to because God's already whispering to them. He's wooing them. He's both near and far. He's reaching out and inviting them to something different. But he says we're called, this objective that, that, that we're called through the church, through each of us together doing something to make these mysteries known and to invite others into it. He says now, in verse 20, to the God who can do so many awe-inspiring things, immeasurable things, things greater than we could ask or even imagine through the power at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus and in the liberated king from this generation to the next forever and ever. Amen. Immeasurable things, things greater than we could ask or imagine. I don't know if we've ever had these times of meditation where we sit and we try to imagine God as the biggest potential we could think he is, the most awe-inspiring, the most beautiful picture we could paint, and then try to imagine that being just a glimpse, just a fragment, just a tiny piece of what it is, and try to stretch your imagination even more. Like, how is, he, how is it even possible that it's bigger than this? And not that, it, that he's just bigger than this, but he says that I'm the conduit so everyone else can understand that. And we, together as a community, can help people see love in a different way that seems bigger than they ever had potential for understanding. Because most people want to have conversations about God, it's very limited in potential. Like they've, they've got the fix on it. I figured things out. Yeah, I read a few books. I had my conversations and this is as big as it's going to get. Believer in God or non-believer in God, we all seem to have this box where we think it's stuffed into there. And Paul invites us to go beyond that, that everything that seems inspiring to us is just the beginning of what's our potential. Even Jesus himself says, greater things you're going to be able to do than I did because I go to the Father and I send my Holy Spirit to you guys. Greater things than Jesus did is available to each and every one of us. And do we just think that some like, yeah, the follower of Jesus was just getting a little excited when he wrote that line. There's, there's probably no way Jesus said that and that's probably not a reality. And if we're living in that, if we haven't made that decision, if we have not decided to go down the road that says, God can do amazing things for me. He can love people in a new way. He can bring peace and unity. He can bring almost like an ulterior existence, this plane that people can live on. Like if we, if we haven't chosen to follow that, I don't know if we're really following Jesus yet or if we're just kind of like tasting the spaghetti he's serving. I don't know. It's like, mm, ah, I like my noodles a little different than that. The sauce is a little thick. I don't know. I, this is probably a horrible analogy. You know me. I'm really bad at them. But um, I don't know. Let's pray. And I want to read this prayer as we go to discussion that he has in the end of verse 1 or chapter 1. So God, we pray right now on behalf of all your people, please give us a mind ready to receive wisdom and revelation so we can truly know you. Open our eyes and our hearts and let the light of your truth flood in. Please show us what you've promised us. Shine your light on the hope that you are calling us to embrace. Reveal to us your glorious riches that you are preparing as our inheritance. Let us see the full extent of your power that is at work in those of us who believe and what may be done according to your might and power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.